Hello, this is Phantom Electric Ghost, and we're live on the air for the first time with Tom Cronin. And you are a meditation teacher, author, and filmmaker. I want to welcome you to the Phantom Electric Ghost podcast. Great to be here. Thanks for inviting me along today. I want to let people know that we're also a featured podcast on the Newsly platform. You can see that icon up there. It says, listen on Newsly. And for our listeners and viewers, if they um, use that coupon code of ghost and get one month free premium subscription. Now, one of the things we like to tell people is uh, what episode we were actually on today. We were actually at the episode 983 of the podcast, uh, tracking on Apple Podcast since 2016, getting closer to episode 1000. And then we also have your your uh, URL for your, your website, www.tomcronin.com. And then we have forward slash faster dash deeper dash com dash ebook. Now that will be fully clickable and you'll be able to go right to that URL when we're published on all the platforms that we're on. Um, but for those of you who see that there today watching the video, that will be clickable later. And then what we wanted to talk about today, if we get into that. So um, one of the things we're going to talk about is um, overcoming uh, self-limiting beliefs. If we can bring it back. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah, overcoming self-limiting beliefs to really realize full potential. And that's that's what the focus is today. But we maybe can give a little bit of brief background. And um, as a transformation coach, me, uh, meditation teacher, author, and filmmaker, I don't know which order you want to go in to give the folks uh, watching um, some background on who you are. Yeah, thanks so much for um, opening up the floor and introducing me. So I'm a meditation teacher, first and foremost. I was in finance as a broker and, you know, was experiencing a lot of stress, a lot of challenges with the nature of that job, very Wolf of Wall Street, and I came across meditation and it was such a game changer for me. You know, it really changed my life so much that eventually over time I really wanted to bring this to the world. I just couldn't believe how quickly it managed to reduce things like my anxiety, my panic attacks, my depression, my insomnia, and really just start to make my life better and better. And I was so motivated and inspired that I eventually left my job to become a meditation teacher. And I, I realized that many of the world's problems were coming from people's, I guess, limited limited use of their mind and the, the way their mind mm. was, was tending to operate. And if I could help change their mind, the state of their mind, the state of their consciousness, then I would change their lives. And so that really motivated me to bring meditation to the world in a big way, which kind of led to things like my books and my film and a lot of the coaching that I do these days as well as the meditation teaching. And you're a founder of the Stillness Project, and that sounds like a really interesting concept. Maybe you can talk about what is the Stillness Project. Yeah, it's a movement that I wanted to create to inspire over a billion people to meditate daily. You know, I realized that, as like I said, many of the world's problems were coming from our state of mind that we're in. And if I shifted people's state of mind, then I would shift the, the, the state of the world. And so the Stillness Project was really just a vision and um, a movement to get people inspired about meditating on a daily basis. Well, I think meditation is very important. I'm a, I'm a Buddhist. I'm a Nishrin Daishonin Buddhist, and I, I practice that. And it's we chant. We, don't, we're, we do meditation and we do breathing exercises and kind of have that center of calm. And when I, I lived in Japan, I noticed a lot of people doing Tai Chi during the middle of the day or beginning of the day. And just Eastern philosophies where you t take a time out 
to do breathing exercises, meditate, or just calm yourself and try to clear your mind. I think it's very important in a world, like the Western world is so into like the A-type personality, the person, the go-getter, they got to be on all day and they can't ever turn off. And I think that's part of the problem. <laughs> yeah, look, you know, we're seeing a very cerebral society being developed. We really emphasize so much about thinking and what comes with thinking is feeling. And we're very addicted to thinking and feeling. Those two things are what are driving um, so much of our actions in our world, so much of our insatiable appetites for more. And if you look at the, the cultures and traditions coming back to Buddhism and a lot of those Eastern traditions, um, not to say that anything's perfect in the world, but certainly what we find is a deeper sense of fulfillment, a deeper sense of contentment, less turbulence, less chaos, less disease, less um, disharmony or lack of harmony in those traditions and cultures that reduce the amount of uh, mental activity calm their minds and what happens as a result of them calming their minds is that their hearts start to open when we have busy minds we we tend to have contracted hearts when we have a calm minds we have open hearts and this is the correlation that i want to support and help facilitate in the world calm mind leads to um the ability to have greater compassion compassion greater love greater empathy um and this is a what's i think is missing in the world a lot at the moment yeah, as a creative person, you know, I'm a musician, <clears throat> I'm a podcaster, and in my daily life, I'm a software designer. So I try to find the thread, the needle between the left and right brain. And I, I, you know, even before the pandemic, I decided to stop being a road warrior and to work remotely because I was not able to do my passions of like writing music. I like to write music and, you know, I wasn't able to do that if I'm on a plane you now in the Uber and I'm always away from home. And I started to say, well, why can't I just stand up and say, I can do this job. I don't have to be on the road. And then I could actually put time into my art, which, you know, then, you know, just being able to get off the treadmill of being a road warrior was a big thing for me because it gave me more time to, to meditate and to do my, my Buddhist practice. So I think people have to start to like align, like, is this making you happy? And maybe that's your story is like you, you were involved and finance, right? And so was that was not, it, it, I guess it got to a point where it wasn't satisfying, wasn't making you happy, right? Yeah, you know, we have this really beautiful inbuilt intelligent design within us. It's like a, a guidance system. And the, the guidance system is unhappiness. The guidance system is disease. The guidance system is discontentment. And what we want to do is we want to, stop looking at the outside world when that guidance system starts to emerge when we start getting messages inside of us so you know for me i got a lot of anxiety panic attacks depression and it wasn't like i was a victim of those circumstances those circumstances those messages those symptoms were actually a catalyst a cue for change and we always want to have introspection and inquiry with an in and that's where we look within and we start asking ourselves what is causing this inflammation what is causing this discomfort what is causing this anxiety and what do I need to do to change my life to make things better? And, um, you know, it can be one of two things when we get discomfort or disease. It's one of two things. We either change our inner state, the way we're relating to things, or we change our outer world and the way we're doing things. 
And so for me, I did get a, a firstly, the, this guidance system was telling me, hey, stop doing all the drugs, the drinking, the partying, the late nights, start to quieten your mind, learn to meditate. And that really was a big catalyst for change in my life. And I started getting a lot more fulfilled. But then as time went on I, and, and I started to change my inner state, I started finding that the place that I was in on a daily basis, that was my work as a broker, was becoming less inspiring, less charming. And so I started to feel some inner arising of discontent within me that started to get me to ask, what else could I be doing with my life? And that was some more guidance that was guiding me to maybe look at alternatives to the current life that I was living as a broker. And that's what led me to start to do my teacher training and then become a teacher. And so again, always ask yourself if there's some discomfort in your life, if there's some um, lack of harmony, look within and ask yourself, you know, what is it that you could do differently that could be, um, you know, this, this guidance system could be guiding you to the next thing. And so for me, I followed that guidance system. I listened to what was arising within my body. I became a teacher and that was a real big game changer for me. I knew that this was the path that I was meant to be on. And that was really exciting for me and really um, led to greater harmony and greater fulfillment. Also, when I read your background, is like not only did you become a teacher, but you got into the arts in terms of film and you know book projects. And I'm a big believer in, you know, I talk to creative people all the time. I talk to a lot of artists, multiple like areas, from like authors to film directors to actors, musicians. And I find is you know that muse. That a lot of times as kids, we're told, oh, you can't do that. You know, go do something more productive, be a lawyer, be a businessman, be a doctor. But a lot of times the inner child, like you want to, you, you, nothing stops you when you're very young from trying to do something. And then suddenly the world tells you, oh, you can't do that. You got to do something more practical. You got to do something that's going to make money. And art doesn't always do that. You know, art, it might be very soul satisfying, but it doesn't always uh, ring all the bells in terms of, Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a lot of a lot of money and take care of myself and be secure. So there's a level of insecurity and maybe fear with being creative, and then people don't want to challenge that fear and don't try it. Yeah, you know, I the way I see creativity. <clears throat> excuse me, I've got a bit of a, a tickle in my throat from being traveling around the world for a retreat that I just recently ran. <clears throat> but creativity is something that we are custodians of. We are the conduits of, of creativity. We are the outlets for infinite creativity. Infinite creativity, the entire universe is creative. And it's looking for modalities, custodians, vehicles for it to express itself through. And we get these creative impulses as creativity is looking to express itself through someone or something. It could be a flower. That's creativity expressing itself. It could be a bee that's creativity expressing itself. It could be an impulse you get to write a poem. It could be an impulse to write a film. Creativity is looking to express itself through you. And as those impulses arise, we want to follow the expression of that. And if you look at a child, like you said, you know, children have unbridled expression of creativity. You know, I look at, I've got two children, 21-year-olds now, but when they were kids, you know, they were very creative. My son's a drummer in a rock band. And... From a very young age, he was always wanting to express music through his hands. You know, he was tapping on the table. Then we bought him a djembe. He was tapping on the African um, drum. And then we bought him a drumming kit. And the movement of creativity wanted to express itself for him 
through music, mm-hmm. and particularly when we say music, that's again a, a niche, but there's a niches within that niche. For him, it wasn't guitar, it wasn't singing, it wasn't rapping, it was actually through sure. drumming. And someone else yeah. might have that expression through, you know, pastels on paper. Someone else might have oil on canvas. Someone else might have writing a book. And if you get that impulse, you know, when you see children, they just express it. They don't have any barrier to the expression of that creativity. They're not afraid of what people think because they're just finding unlimited, unbridled expression of creativity. And as you said, as we get older, we get, you know, people in our ear or we start listening to other opinions or we get fear ourselves about judgment or failure and that holds us back from that expression. So for me, I had a lot of expression coming through to make a film, to write books. And so I just allowed that expression to express itself. And, um, and you know, of course, when we're doing things like film, it gets a little bit more complicated because there's a lot more other people that need that creative expression, like yeah, directors and editors. Just, yeah. And, yeah, there's a lot of people involved, whereas writing a song, it's just you. Or you might have other people collaborating to bring yeah. different musicians in. And that's where complexities with creativity start to arise you know steve jobs creating an iphone there was complexities in that because there's a lot of <laughs> yeah, technical aspects that need to come in well i think the muse is like i always liked that victorian i was really into victorian poets you know like blake william blake and tennyson longfellow and the idea of the muse and i always felt as a musician because i like i like experimental music i like electronic you know um fusion jazz and punk aesthetic and what I liked about it is a kind of free form stream of consciousness of, mm-hmm. of just saying, you know what, I'm not going to worry about being perfect. I'm going to go for the happy accidents and go for that flow state and do something where, you know, you think about like Miles Davis was in like bebop and they switched to fusion. And there's like all these jazz purists said, well, that's not jazz because now you went to this weird discorded thing and what's that and it's got other things that's not pure but i think when you're when you're like an innovator like a hendrix or a miles davis or coltrane they they go into places where people are like well that's not really right but they're willing to go because the muse is kind of telling them and i think even yeah. with writers that have your own idea like if you you feel like like there's some fear in in judgment like you said if you put something out there there's going to be somebody hates it there's gonna be somebody who doesn't like it then you might take it personal but i think as a creative person you start the, the fear of of that happening uh the creative drive outweighs the fear and you actually go and do it and you put it into the world and i think that's that's what's really important is that when you can find a way to to you know actualize that yeah you know yes such an exciting area to go down and explore is creativity and the expression of creativity. If you think of some of the most recognised artists in the world, as you said, a few of them there, Miles Davis and Coltrane, and, you know, <clears throat> we go back to any time where someone has broken ground and stepped over a line of consistency and familiarity. At the time, they're quite often ridiculed, but over time through history, they're more often revered. And this is the thing we want to always remember. If you get a creative impulse that might not be a familiar sort of status quo with where the world is at right now, but you feel you've just got to express that. And it might be like, hey, you can't do that. That's like you're completely breaking the status quo of the way rock and roll is created. We wouldn't have Beatles and rock and roll music if they didn't yeah. break the status quo. Uh, we wouldn't have jazz. We wouldn't have, <laughs> you know, we wouldn't have Shakespeare. You know, And this is the beautiful thing about art and creativity is that 
it usually is revered over time, but it, uh, you know, more often than not at the time, it was probably ridiculed, but we've got yeah. to um, find that freedom of expression. I think it's important. Yeah, the pioneers at the bleeding edge kind of get hit, you know, they get hit yeah. back with a lot of feedback. And, you know, and then you said get people like a William Blake, he was not famous in his time, mm. but he felt his important, his poetry was so important that the songs of innocence and experiment experience are etched in metal etchings with artwork that go with each poem. So he felt it was so important to put that poetry down. He didn't just put it on paper. He actually put it on these metal etchings with the art that goes with each one. And some people don't know that, but that's how he was found outside of his time to be one of the great Victorian poets. But he had the drive. And I say that's the kind of drive, like why you put something into the world, because he believed in it that much to be able to, you know, put it into something permanent to make it like eternal, which is yeah. interesting. I always find that I love, very interesting to kind of. Yeah, I love that. And, and I'd like to inspire everyone listening that, you know, we're, we're custodians of this. We're, we're, we don't own it. We're just sharing it. We're sharing impulses. We're sharing creativity. So don't make it all about you. Make it about, uh, make it a gift to the world. If you've got an impulse for a book or a film or a song or a piece of artwork, and, you know, I think of Banksy, you know, he just makes it a gift. And I think when we, you know, we don't even know what he looks like. And he's a great, I think, representative of someone that says, hey, um, and maybe we can find some flaws or faults in that as well in the way he expresses things. We always can in everything. But what I, I like to do with creativity is say, don't make it about yourself. Make it a gift to the world. And you just never know where that legacy of you expressing that creativity will end up in, in years to come. You know, Da Vinci as well wasn't recognised um, when he was around, you know, it's years and years and generations and if not millenniums later that some people's artwork is is still revered and respected and appreciated and savored today so um yeah surrender it being all about you and your fears and your um concerns about whether it's right or wrong or being judged or failing but just create and put it out there and 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 let it go let 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 the attachment to it go and just let it have its own then birthing give it to the world and say i i honor you i respect you creativity and I, i'll i'm interested to see where that goes in in its in its lifetime i, I believe that meditation and kind of having quiet spaces allow your um kind of for me as an artist i need that to get away from the noise you know to turn off the cell phone turn off the computer go out and a lot of times part of what I do is I, I live in New Hampshire, so I go out in the pines. And there was this great poem by you know, Hawthorne Longfellow um, about like nature is the cathedral. So I find if I do, go out into nature and I don't have my earbuds and I don't have my cell phone, I just go walk in the, in the pines, in the middle of the woods, that I find that very calming and it kind of restores me um, that just hiking on a river trail is enough to kind of in the same in the same space that my my initial and i shown in buddhist this chanting or meditation or breathing exercises gives me peace when i'm in the house 
if I'm out there in nature, I find that that, that helps me. And then I find myself like renewed and I get ideas that just kind of come and you just kind of like, you're like, you can channel those things. I feel that like you can channel with the universe as a, as a creative person. And that, that sometimes it's like not li- trying to have all this noise tell you what to do, that you kind of have to create these safe spaces of, of quiet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, at some point we have space. Space is such an important vessel for creativity to come through. And, you know, the problem we have in our world today is that we don't ever get bored. We don't ever have space. We don't ever have that ability for something to enter into that void or spaciousness or emptiness, as they call it in Buddhism. And, you know, a lot of my meditation students, myself included, find that a lot of creative impulses, incredibly creative ideas arise within our meditation because we've allowed the thinking mind to get out of the way. And creativity, you'll find with most artists, um, always go back to, um, I've got a complete blank, the lead singer of Nirvana. What was his name again? He often Kurt, talked Kurt about Cobain. Yeah, Cobain. He talk, talked a lot yeah. about how his creative creativity would come when he's just sitting doing nothing, and it would just arise yeah. from that spaciousness in his mind. And I think we need to, ideally, as a species, to become more creative, more adaptable, and more expressive. Um, is to create more space. And our phones, unfortunately, have 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 cluttered up that space that we would normally have in our day where we're sitting on the train or we're sitting on a park bench and there's nothing to do nothing to think about and these moments have been hijacked from us now and they're filled in with yeah. scrolling through feeds <laughs> and information flow and um, i think it'd be good for us all to allocate portions of time each day just to sit and be and create some windows of time like you said going into the forest nature's a very inspirational um, cathedral for us to f- tap into our creativity. Yeah, can I get worried about, you know, I, I always, I, I, when I work with other musicians and they're like, oh, well, we've got to do like the latest thing. And they look at like whatever's getting, you know, thousands or millions of hits on, on social media. And I look at that as well, you know, just because it got a million hits or a million views doesn't mean it's good because there's a cat video that somebody is using the same song that they're using on a, uh, you know, a prank video. And that what's happening is that same song is being used for like tons of different videos. And it has nothing to do with any of them. But the person's actually, you know, is getting a lot of benefit from everybody using that same song. And I'm like, well, what, how, how, what is that really contributing to the world but a lot of noise? And, it, and so if you just disconnect from that and say, well, what is it? You know, what is the song that you're scared to show me? What is the song that isn't like something that's in the top 20, right? Show me the piece that you're afraid to show anybody. That's the that's the piece of work I want to work on. Because I think that's the more authentic vision that you have, but you're kind of fearful of showing anybody. And I kind of want to see, to me, that's what makes you a human, is like your own vision. And sometimes you're not secure in that vision, but, you know, my job is to get somebody to to make that the best version of, of their authentic self, which I think a lot of people are scared to do because they can use sampling, they can use AI, they can clone something, they could copy somebody else. And they're so much so into trying to be perfect that they're not into originality or original thinking or critical thinking. 
yeah, I see this happening for humanity in a big way. Exactly what you're saying with the algorithms, you know, Spotify, YouTube, Netflix, all of this is really trying to, to drill down into the narrowest margin possible, the most liked pieces of creativity. And, and what that does is that it means that the AI and anyone creating will continually try to fit within those molds. You know, I go through, I'm a bit of a movie buff, but, you know, these days I go through the libraries on the streaming platforms, you know, your Netflix, your Amazons, um, your Apple TVs, and you, you go through the the recent releases of films. It's like, I've seen that type of film before. I've seen that type of film before. I've seen that type of film before. I've heard that song before. I've heard that song before. I've heard that song before. And that's because we're just getting into a narrow, narrow, tighter field of what people will watch and what will be um, devoured by the masses. And so what that's limiting is the the inspiration to create something that's not in that tight bandwidth. And unfortunately, we're going to have, um, which we're already starting to see, very repetitive types of music, repetitive types of films, repetitive types of books, because they're, they're just trying to clamor for that, you know, that, that mass audience and try and get, as you say, the million hits and the million views. Yeah, because how are you ever going to get like a Lou Reed or a Bob Dylan or a Hendrix mm. if you're trying to just clone the algorithm? Yeah. If you just use AI to you know, do, do something that sounds like Zeppelin Four, of course, mm. you'll, you'll probably do well. But is it, yeah, that's been done better by John Bonham and, and the boys. It's like they've done it better than you could ever do it. So why would you do it again? You know, it's like it's like I'd rather be like that guy, like Orson Welles who goes and films Citizen Kane. He didn't know how to do it. He just said, "Well, I thought my eye could the camera would represent exactly what my eye sees." So I didn't know that you shouldn't do that, or that you can't do that, or you, no one had really thought of doing that. So I didn't know what I couldn't do. Mm -hmm. And I was watching this like interview with Orson Welles, and he's saying that well, I didn't know what I was doing at all. I just kind of just like, well, why can't I do that? And, and that's that's what I say. Well, where where's that kind of thought? You know, it's in the underground, it's in the yeah. independent minds, it's in the people who are kind of out in the left field. That's I've always liked independent radio, or like the the kind of outsiders, or the stories like you know the Velvet Underground, or Big Star, the people you know like no you don't really know about. I always like would dive into that because I like that was more interesting to me than what's popular. Mm -hmm. uh, just because I get a better a point of view that's original. It's originality. I, I like to find the new people, They're not the same faces and the same songs. Like you said, because it becomes repetitive and it, what value is it to get the same thing over and over? <laughs> yeah, they just follow a formula. You know, we see that with Fast and Furious. We see that with the Avengers films. We see that with a lot of um, musical artists where the record labels will say, we, we you know, we know what works. Let's stick to the formula. Let's stick to the formula. And at some point, we're going to see a backlash. At some point, we see humanity beg and ask for something more. Um, you know, there's only so many times you can see that formula in Fast and Furious um, before people start asking for something that's unique and fresh. And for me, you know, I'm getting to that point. It's like, give me something new out there. Give me something exciting. You know, shake the system a little bit. Intrigue me. Give me some curiosity. Make me probe a little bit deeper. And um, um, hopefully we, we start to see people um, start to find ways to um, inspire and excite humanity beyond the current recurring known because uh, this is what creativity is. It, it breaks free of the shackles of consistency. 
So how did the portal film come about? Maybe we can talk about that because you're involved in film. Hmm. And um, I'd like to know more about that project. Yeah, you know, I, I was very passionate about meditation. I wanted to use film as a medium to convey a message. And they did this. It was We were inspired by The Secret. You know, the Secret took a very esoteric subject matter, the law of attraction. And they managed mm. to penetrate the households of the world with that. It was a phenomenal feat to take a very um, abstract idea that what you think and feel can lead to what you attract. And they managed to make this a very mainstream phenomenon. And so we were inspired by that. And I wanted to use film to do that with meditation. Hey, this is an ancient modality, an ancient practice that actually starts to give you superhuman capabilities. It's quite remarkable. And it stood the test of time. It's been around for 5,000 years. It's about time the West start to really, you know, embrace this on a daily basis. You know, we think it's normal to crack open a Budweiser at the end of the day and watch the footy, but why can we not make it normal that we close our eyes and we repeat a mantra inside our head and go into a deep transcendence? So I really wanted to mainstream that. Now, we we had a very windy path with that. One thing I learned the hard way was that making a film is very difficult. You can have an mm. idea, which is a broad spectrum overview, but integrating and implementing that idea into the granular of actually making a film with sound and music and scenes and locations and you know, costume design and all those sorts of complexities was a lot harder than I thought. But we ended up, um, you know, really wanting to push the boundaries of filmmaking. And, you know, we had a phenomenally creative team. And I, I guess the premise that I gave them, because I'm not a filmmaker, I'm, I just had the idea. Um, so I had to employ filmmakers, people that specialize in, you know, DOP, camera work and sound and editing and, you know, onlining and all color grading and all those things. So bringing in all these different people and I had to keep emphasizing that we wanted to create something that was unique and fresh and different. Now, the challenge mm -hmm. with creating something unique and fresh and different is that for a lot of people, it's almost hard to penetrate or hard to, you know, embrace. I don't know if you've seen something like Red Lobster. It's a very difficult film to watch. It's, it's not... It's not a mainstream film. It's not a Fast and Furious or an Avengers. <laughs> and, um, and for that reason, it might not have huge commercial success. So we're trying to find this balance between it being unique and fresh and different and inspiring and mm -hmm. something to talk about, but not too alienating that the audience couldn't actually digest it and, and integrate with it and be part of it. So it's a real fine line being creative to... A, try and have some commercial success because if you don't, it's almost like what's the point of making it to some respects if no one gets to watch it and appreciate it or they don't like it. Um, and this is a real challenge with art and creativity is are we making it so that people can appreciate it and like it? And if they don't, then you've got to ask the, the question, you know, where's this boundary line meet where we're making art so people can appreciate it and like it and enjoy it or are we making it purely for our own self-indulgent purposes and there's nothing wrong with either of those questions and there's mm -hmm. no right answer but for us to try and find the commercial success of that film but also the uniqueness there's a really tricky line to walk and um yeah i think we we made a beautiful film um we didn't quite have the commercial success that we would have liked um and maybe that just hasn't come yet maybe that will come one day but at this point in time you know we made a beautiful film and and it's out to the world now we're gifting it to the world when I think about you know working with a team, with like if you're working on a project that's more than a one-person project, and you got to employ like like a whole team effort, um, it's like mm -hmm. a sports team effort, or like even when if you're if you're a singer-songwriter yeah. and you're just by yourself, 
is one thing versus that like you're you're in a band, and then you're in a band, and then you've got to work with your your the you know the the musical director, the recording engineer, the producer, the rest of the members of the band, and everybody else, and then you start to work with the in order to get beyond your bubble of just playing in a bar, you've got to connect yeah. and you've yeah. got to compromise and you've got to learn how to be diplomatic and you've got to figure out how, what works. And so it usually it, it, it's, a, it's, it's a process. And so they kind of take this idea and they make it so that actually people can understand it and people can digest it. Like you said, it has to evolve and it has to get mm-hmm you know mapped and you know i think that that's the whole process of creativity when it goes beyond just like the one bright light in your head to something that you've got to execute and i think that's that 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 to me is always the fun part of it Mm -hmm. but it's it's you know it, it is a process it's like a coach you know a coach of an nfl team has you know X yeah. many players at his disposal. <laughs> and his ultimate goal is to win the game. So he's got a vision, he's got an intention, he's got a goal. And now he has to hand that to a group of people that have to then come in and express themselves in whichever way they do in, a, in a, some sort of team effort. And, um, and that's really challenging, you know, because there's a lot of variables going from all of a sudden you've got this one vision and intention and goal and then you give that to a group of people to execute. And that execution is where it gets a bit complex. Yeah, and how much of the idea do you hold on to or do you allow to be massaged? Mm-hmm. Like if you're in a band, you could be the alpha. Say, I'm going to write the song and everybody's going to do all the parts the way I wrote it. Or you could say, well, you know, I'm going to trust my bass player to actually take the bass line and change it, take the drum line and adapt it. Or you can have a different approach. There's some people are very, very stringent. It's like, it's going to be what I wrote. And you have to implement it like your work for hire <laughs> rather than a member of the band. And so it's like, how much of that is, is involved in the project? How much do you let people bring their expertise to the table and actually, you know, I, you know, if the cinematographer or the cameraman, like they have a certain capability, do you trust their vision or you say, what's got to be still within this frame? And, and so it, how much of that uh, do you let go or, 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 or control? And I, I guess I have a question out of just my own naivety. Um, my first thought was coming to someone like Beethoven or Mozart. Uh, do they write the musical pieces for every um, member of the orchestra or do they write just the violin and then the orchestra has to kind of work it out and, and, and vice versa also with someone like, I don't know, let's just pull a, a band out, let's just say Queen. Did Freddie Mercury mm-hmm. write the music for all the artists in the band? Okay, the drums are going to be this way. Or did he just write the chords for the guitar and the lyrics for the song and then and the rest of the members worked it out? What, what is it normally the case for these situations? Uh, out of my naivety, I'm asking a genuine question. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, in some cases, like like with Queen, there were so many, you know, like multiple members were capable. Like the guitar player, he mostly, he did the guitar parts. And Freddie Mercury... He did the melodies and the and the actual lyrics, and he's a piano player, so he put down a lot of the piano structure. And then the guitar player and the piano player they can kind of co- collide and they can kind of be in the same space because they can all do they can do chords. Both of them can do chords, but Freddie Freddie was a really good piano player, so he had a lot of vision. But he would kind of let let the the guitar player come in and and write the part for that 
And so some people in some bands, they're, they're, it's not like that. In some bands, you know, like Pete Townsend with The Who was known for doing demos that almost are like, like, like that's 90% of the song. He would put down wow. the drums, he put down the bass, he wow. put down the guitar, he put down the keyboard. And so like if Who's Next, he had it almost every song mapped out. But then he would, you know, he'd let Antwistle take his bass line. So, okay, I know Antwistle can play better than me. So I'll let him take it and adjust it. And Moon was a crazy drummer. He was a fantastic drummer. So he did way more complicated parts than what, what Pete could do. But the structure of the song was like, it was there. It's just like, wow. it, it just got um, embellished by the capabilities of the band. And Daltrey had a more powerful voice than Townsend. But Townsend had the melody. And he pretty much, Daltrey would take that melody and just belt it out with a better, more powerful singer. So he could hit notes and this duel with a like kind of charisma that Pete had this kind of more feminine voice. And so his songs, some of his songs would be done with his voice, depending on how he wanted to do it. Like he was tended to do rock opera. So he tended to write in these big, long concepts. And some places it, the feminine part of his voice worked and they would use his voice. There are other parts it's like, no, we got to use Dalton's voice. And so it was like, but he was very much like an, a controlling like the whole structure, that type of mindset. Mm -hmm. I went to a symphony not long ago with my sister at the Opera House in Sydney, which is a beautiful building. And uh, the symphony was one of the great symphonies, I think in the world, Australian Sydney Symphony. And, um, you know, it was fascinating to, to watch such a large piece of musical arrangement. And I was thinking, did the writer write every single note for every single piece of music? Uh, and every instrument to make that composer it's like, it's like mind-boggling that they could think so diverse that the triangle and the violins and the cellos and the bass and you know the trumpets and the clarinets to bring all of those different pieces of music it's one thing to have a rock band with you know four different artists but to have 30 different artists and put that music together to make something special is quite remarkable creativity that's the brilliance of that era, but if you can think about it, like that was like the popular music at the time. And so mm. to write all those parts for those big orchestras was like, that's the radio, that's the CD, that's the LP. So they, these people, that was the, that was what the focus was, was to create these worlds. So these composers mm. created these musical worlds that are like, you know, I call sound paintings or like they, 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 they have all these layers. And, um, you know, today we, we can compose things that have multiple layers, like 64 tracks, 124 yeah. tracks. I yeah. can build all of them, right? But back then, it's like they were, they were doing that on paper. paper. And then, yeah. you know, actually imagining what it would be. But they knew the theory and they knew what it would sound like. So they would write mm -hmm. it out. And, and they would, you know, control that today. I have all kinds of tools where I can go see what that's going to be. And I can write those parts too. I mean, I can write for like 24 instruments or 36 or 64. That's what, what we do as, as music producers and, and, and songwriters. But back then you didn't have all the, all the tools we have, but we still have the vision to kind of map those things out because we're trying to create worlds, kind of like an author creates a world. Like when you map yeah, out your right. characters, if you create your storyboard, you create a lot of authors I talk to, they go and they do the character design, then they do the world design. And that's the level that these these um, musicians are doing too. They're building like a world. So that's yeah. kind of why it's just very similar in some ways. But. 
Yeah, I love that with a good film when you've got layer upon layer of character development. It's like, wow, they've really thought, you know, particularly when you see uh, TV series, you know, we're watching This Is Us, which is this beautiful interwoven, you know, different um, periods of time weaving these character stories. I'm like, it's so complex that they have that incredible creative capacity to weave in, you know, long, long character stories and many, many layers of different characters yeah. into into these different story threads, which is beautifully um, crafted, I think, in some really well-done series. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the, the creativity of the human, you know, mm-hmm. our, our whole ethos is that, that we're all creative. But what I hate is sometimes as people are to act like you can only be creative if you're Beethoven or Chopin or Miles Davis or, you know, Alfred Hitchcock. I believe everybody can be creative. Now, certain people have certain, like, alpha capabilities. They're going to be, like, the best of the best. But it doesn't mean that you shouldn't try, that you shouldn't express yourself. Not that you're going to be, you know, in different classes, but I think what each person does individually can be super beautiful. And so that that's where a lot of people, you know, get discouraged from doing art. And I think art is like therapy Art, you know, I use it as a catharsis uh, to get yeah. through a lot of my work. I could put down like, like a hundred demos and maybe, you know, a lot of it's cathartic, but yeah. I look at it as like, you know, those hundred pieces of work, by the time I get to the one I release, that was all steps on the wrong to get there. I don't look yeah. at it as a failure. I look at it as like, it's a process. And that's why I think a lot of people like make, you know, make judgments where they think they're failing at something. It's actually a process. And I think it's important for the audience to listen, that are listening in, that art doesn't have to be limited to writing a book, a poem, a piece of music or a painting. You know, it can be used in your business, coming up with a a new way of um, doing something successfully in your business. It can be a new system. A new system design, a new program, excuse me, that um, is, again, still expression. And I think creativity, um, you know, even creating systems for society is still creative. You know, coming up with new economic models for society, new political models, new business models for society. I think we need to start really thinking outside the safety zones of where our creativity is at the moment and start thinking bigger and more creatively about where humanity's going and what's possible for us as a species. That's creativity, you know, uh, thinking of a new blueprint for humanity, a new way of living is, is very creative. There's a lot of th- things that are done, like, you know, in software design, uh, what we find is sometimes our happy accidents, we're, we're coming up with something. We've built a lot of things that are like we haven't done before. And we have managers like, oh, we're trying to track it. Like, well, how do you track something you never did before? Right? How you yeah. know, you know, that you're going, when you're going to be done. And a lot of times we, we have what we call happy accidents where we actually came up with something. It wasn't part of the plan, but we have we believe in it so much. We go push to the management and say, hey, this isn't really what you wanted but this could be the thing that's going to make the company. It's like, we, mm-hmm. we didn't really, really, you know, we, this wasn't what we were supposed to be doing, but we found something and we think you ought to look at it because this, this thing we, we could actually, it could be big. 
and it wasn't the original plan. And, and you have to have people who are willing to like think that or they, you know, somebody said, well, I got to do A to Z and that's not part of my A to Z. So we're not doing that. And that's mm-hmm. where, you know, creativity is such as sometimes things come out of, out of the blue or they come and it wasn't intended. And, and a lot of times those things are very, are really part of like what, how creative things happen. You know, it, sometimes it's not highly planned. It's like an accident. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that have been created in labs. They're like, oh, this is sweet. We could actually use this, or this does this, and it wasn't. We didn't know it could do that, and it's, it had unintended consequences. Like, oh, you have to be willing to like entertain it hmm. when it comes to you. Like the universe gave it to you. You're like, are you gonna ignore it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah, an exciting time. You know, every everything is creative. Every, you know, every, I'm looking at you and your microphone, and your, your hoodie, your glass rims, um, the, the the lighting in the room. I mean, every, everything about our world is a creative expression. An amoeba, a bacteria, an algae, a fungi. Uh, it's all creativity. The universe is constantly creating, constantly, twenty four seven, for eternality. Solar systems, galaxies, clusters of galaxies, from the micro to the macro. And this is the thing is that we, yeah. we, there's so um, many <laughs> expressions of it. Well, there's so many collisions, like at the, if you look about it holistically, which I think mm. humanity didn't understand, you know, some of the consequences we're like we're living in today is because we didn't realize that there's certain, certain human activity, you know, it actually affects the structure. Of, of Gaia, like Gaia has a certain path and then we do something, we say, well, it doesn't mean anything. Well, it does. It's like, well, if you listen to a lot of indigenous people, you would have would have understood that, but you didn't want to listen because you thought they were this and you thought well, you were that. And so suddenly you don't listen and now now you're paying because you didn't listen. Um, so, so I think a lot of things is, is people don't understand like the animals that are important is well, this animal is or this insect is not important. It's part of a whole structure. And so they just like totally willy nilly just say, well, I don't need to worry about wiping this species out or doing this. And, and now it's starting to kind of pay the piper that you actually have to look holistically at things. You can't just be narrow minded and say, well, it doesn't matter. Just like words matter. People can say, oh, my words don't matter. And like, how many people have trauma because of words? But they was like, oh, I didn't know. It doesn't matter. It's like, well, it does matter. <laughs> yeah, wise words indeed. So with your, your book project, maybe we can talk about what inspired that because that's still, that's more, that's creativity too. So we can talk about um, the, the effort that went to the book. And I, I would guess that I was more, like a solo effort or was it, did you work with other people to put that together? Yeah, it was an interesting idea with the book. We we knew that from making the film, we had interviewed a number of people that shared amazing stories and amazing insights. And so we decided that there was an asset there, which was the transcripts. And so we took those transcripts and we, we knew if we could take them and, and, mesh them together like we did with the film but into a book and so we actually did the first run of the book where we we took those stories and we compiled them into a book which was the the six interviews of the stories 
and then the three futurists. And we just basically took them and we put them all together. And we, we presented that to an editor and to a, a publisher. And they were excited by the idea of it, but they said that it really needed something else to stitch that book together. And that was the insights mm. and the visions of Jackie, the director, and myself, the creators of the film and the, and the book. So what they wanted us to do was not just stitch the stories together of the interviews, but for us to add our own um, sort of interjection and, and insights into each chapter. So we sat down mm. then um, and after the chapters were compiled with the stories of the people in the film, then we would add on an introduction to each chapter which would be an extra sort of enhancement of what was being said with a bit of a flavour of our own personal experience being added to the book. So it ended up becoming a, very much a collaboration of Jackie, myself, along with the six stories and the three futurists, and, and that became really the, the collaboration so that became the book. So it's like team effort again. So you had yeah, you know, like editors and then mm -hmm. you had people involved in the film. So it was more like a team again more like like a band or sports or yeah it, it seems like it's a team effort for somebody a lot some of your creative exercises aren't totally solo that you've actually gone and, and built like a community of, of art, artistic people with a vision to kind of you know tell your stories yeah and it's different from other books obviously my daughter's writing a book at the moment which is very much a solo effort where she's writing a fictional book and it's just her and her sort of expression of those char characters mm -hmm. coming out of her head <coughs> excuse me into yeah. the book and so it's a it's a very solo experience for her if you need to take a drink don't yeah. worry you can take it <laughs> i'm all good mm. i'm losing my yeah i think it's, it's, it's quite a few interviews yeah you've been talking a lot so we don't want to uh, uh, burn you out but um i think it's this interesting um to have this um meditation as being like the core of of like a, like a trigger for like uh you know what you need to be in that kind of creative state which i think a lot of people don't and i think the creative state of mind is is like how people are going to survive the coming future because in the coming future there's a lot of fear of automation and robotics and AI and political instability. And people are wondering like, what's gonna happen? Well, I think you have to trust in, you know, finding a way to find peace of mind so that you can clear your head of all the noise and start to, you know, find a way to express yourself. And what I found is like, I try to create my own brand, not that I'm trying to make money with it, but to get my voice out there with my brand however I choose to get it out there with art or music or vision or film, I think a lot of people can take whatever they feel is important and start to, you know, put their stamp on it where, you know, maybe the future isn't that we're always working for companies, that you start to work for your own benefit, that you work for your own ideas, for your own creativity to kind of put your spark out there. Hmm. Yeah, you know, fear, is the impediment to creativity it's the barrier it blocks the flow we move from a very different part of our brain when we're in fear to very reptilian survival part of our brain and there's very little creativity when we're in fear there's very little adaptive capacity when we're in fear and meditation mm -hmm. 
why it's so powerful in helping us be more creative and more adaptable is that when we calm our nervous system and calm our mind, we start to have full brain coherence. And we've seen that on EEGs of meditators. When we scan their brain, we see their whole brain being lit up. We have greater, greater brain capacity when we're meditating or me using meditation as a daily tool. And so for me, one of the, the things that we need going forward as a species to give us greater adaptive capacity, greater creativity, and less fear is actually to incorporate a daily meditation practice, I think. You can kind of see it from a historical records that, you know, folk, the, the, the folks in the, in the past that practiced meditation, they came up with philosophies. They came up with a great, you know, written text that we have as humanity because they were able to put themselves in these states where they were very creative in terms of building points of view and philosophical concepts and mythologies and, you know, religious beliefs. I mean, just the whole history of knowledge, a lot of it came from being in these states, in my opinion, like how people got to the, the great, you know, is it, well, how did people come up with these? Well, because they probably weren't so, they, they weren't in fear, in flight, running when they came up with the philosophy. They had been able to get to a state where they could imagine these things and then put them down. Yeah. And you can't yeah. do that if you're on the run. <laughs> and if you're 100%. running for something or you're trying to fight something, how are you going to do that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's true. Very much so. Well, I want to thank you for being on the show because I want to burn your voice out. But uh, it's <laughs> been a great conversation. I want I want people to uh, go to your website, TomCronin.com, and it'll be fully clickable. I won't read the whole thing because you'll be able to click on that. But like, we will be published on all the major platforms that podcasts are on uh, later uh, tomorrow. And everybody will be able to check this out and fully uh, uh, connect with you. And maybe you can tell the folks, like, if they click on your website, how do they connect with you there? Yeah, look, there's a couple of ways they can find me. They can come to Instagram and I respond to all my messages. So send me a message on Instagram at Tom Cronin, just one word, Tom Cronin. And you can go to my website, TomCronin.com. And yeah, you know, I've got retreats and coaching programs and meditation programs. So just send me a message. And if there's any way I can support you or help you in your journey, um, not just being more creative, but also reducing stress and anxiety and overwhelm and realizing your full potential and finding more purpose and passion in life, then just send me a message and hopefully I um, you know, can support you in some way, shape or form. Well, I think that's great. I love to hear voices like your, your voice. You know, you have a very interesting perspective in terms of meditation and um and how you think it, you know how how it actually can change your life it change your life okay. and so i think people can um connect with you yeah, i encourage them to click on that website or talk to you through instagram uh that, that's the whole, whole point of this uh, podcast is to bring different voices to people that maybe you haven't heard these perspectives and you can check it out and dive deeper uh, by connecting with um, the guests that we bring on the show. But thank you for being on the Family Electric Ghost podcast tonight. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for listening in, everyone. I appreciate your time. Have a good night.